1: wrap up this portion in verse seven. It says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that blows my mind. You know, we we talk about this all the time, don't we? We say, you need to receive Jesus as your savior. Have you heard that said in the church? How many times have you heard that said in the church, right? A lot, right? We say, you need to receive Jesus as your savior, which is true, but do you realize that at the core Jesus received us first. He welcomed us first. The word welcome means to accept. It means to really draw in. It means to grant access to. It means to take to oneself. It means to receive someone. And here the scripture says, you need to receive one another. You need to accept one another. You need to bring into your presence one another. And here is the sad truth is that the church has been terrible at this. I need to think back just for a moment to what I was like before I came to Christ. What was I living like? What were you living like? If you walked in through the door and you didn't feel welcomed or accepted or wanted, what would you do? You just turn right back around, right? I remember when I was a kid, you guys remember Alvin's Toy Store down on Main Street, right? Right? Like, this is before KB's even. I mean, this is like a throwback. This is a long, long time ago. Those of you who grew up in the area, you know who Alvin's Toys was. But, man, when you went into Alvin's Toys, and I'm sorry if there's anyone in here related to Alvin. All I know is that when I was a six-year-old little boy, when I went into Alvin's Toys, I was afraid. Right? A huge store filled with toys, and as a little boy, I couldn't touch any of it. Right? I went into a toy store as a child, and I didn't really feel like he wanted me there. Right? but I wonder if that's what we don't do as a church. We want the lost to come. We want people to get saved, but you know what, trying to fit in with us or trying to really do life with us or trying to be welcomed into our ranks or trying to become one with us, you know not until you clean yourself up right? Not until you get rid of that sin in your life. It's ugly. We don't really want that around. Not until you get rid of that addiction or not until you put your marriage back together or not until you reconcile with your wife or whatever that thing might be, right? These people come in here and we're supposed to be welcoming them, the strong to the weak, right? But really they come in and they don't feel welcome. They're a kid in a toy store that isn't really wanted there. And we do this to people in the church all of the time. I'm convinced That people really do have a desire for Christ, but you know what they don't have a desire for is the church. Why? Because our opinions and our attitudes turn people away at the door. And people really don't feel welcomed or received or accepted. Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 5. He said, and this is profound, he said, it was when you were still a sinner that Christ died for you. Jesus didn't say, you know what, if you'll get rid of your addiction then I'll go to the cross. He didn't say if you get rid of that bitterness or that anger in your heart, then maybe I'll die for you. He didn't say if you can stop watching or viewing pornography, then I'll go and be a sacrifice for your sins. No, what did he do? He said, while you're still messed up, beat up, torn apart, while your life is still in a wreck and in shambles, he went to the cross for you. There's a woman in Luke chapter eight who was unclean by the Jewish standards. And she wasn't allowed to fellowship, she wasn't allowed to gather with people, she wasn't allowed to be in a group of people like this. If she went around, she'd have to announce that she's in the area, that she's unclean. Why, because she'd been bleeding for 12 years. But when she heard Jesus was in the room, she made her way through the crowd and she reached out to touch the hem of his garment to be made whole. You see, we have this backwards sometimes. We think that and we post these things at the door. Maybe it's a spirit that's posted at the door that, you know what, if you're going to come in here, you have to have your life together. But people need to come in here in order to get their life together. This is where they can meet with God. This is where they can reach out and touch the robe. This morning, maybe you're here and you feel like your life is falling apart. Well, you're welcomed here. And I'm sorry if someone in the room didn't make you feel welcome, but Jesus welcomes you here. And you can reach out with the mess that is your life, with the uncleanness that is your life, with the addictions, with the lust, with the sin, with the pride, with the arrogance, with the guilt, with the shame. You can reach out in faith, and you can touch his robe, and you can be made whole today. There's a promise of welcome. Welcome one another like Jesus welcomed you. Man, do we really do that? Let that sink in just for a moment. While you were still sinner, Christ died for you. Welcome each other the way Jesus has welcomed you. It's very simple, right, when you read it, but it's so profound in trying to put it into practice. To really accept and receive one another with all of our shortcomings and failures and Issues and how we just rub each other wrong. Just, I want to receive you the way Jesus received me. I want to welcome you the way Jesus welcomed me into his arms of grace and forgiveness and mercy. I apologize for having to be so frank, but the fourth thing on your outline is a progression of witness. Let's read these verses together here from verse 18 to verse 13. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, to the Jew to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name and again it is said rejoice O Gentiles with his people and again praise the Lord all you Gentiles and let all the peoples extol him and again Isaiah says the root of Jesse will come even he who arises to rule the Gentiles in him will the Gentiles hope, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So what do I mean by progression of the witness here? See, what Paul is trying to do here is he's trying to reveal the heart to these people who are strong in faith and these people who are weak in faith. He's speaking to both, right? Because those Jewish people who've been living according to tradition and religion for so long, they held something in their heart against the Gentiles. Those people who didn't live out that lifestyle, who weren't raised in the ways of Judaism. They held something in their heart. And here what Paul's trying to say is, you have to see, the Old Testament prophesied that the Gentiles would be saved. There was a progression that was going to take place. This was always bound to happen. And so he begins by quoting David, and he says this. He says, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. This is from the Song of David in 2 Samuel chapter 22. And there David is saying this, I'm going to give you praise, God, before or among the Gentiles. I'm going to give witness to your glory in front of them. Okay, that's the first step. I'm going to praise you, Lord, in front of the Gentiles. Then look at the next thing. He quotes Moses now in verse 10, and he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. So there's a praise or a worship before the Gentiles. Then there's a praise that happens alongside of or amongst the Gentiles, and then look at the next step, verse 11, quoting here from Psalm 117, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. Now, they're praising God together, right? So, Before the Gentiles, alongside of the Gentiles, and now really together with the Gentiles, right? There's this progression that is taught throughout the Old Testament that the Gentiles were always going to be grafted in. They were always going to become a part of God's people. But God was moving in the midst of Israel, using Israel as a light, as a testimony to God's goodness, showing the people what the promises of God look like, showing the Gentiles what the promises of God look like. So look at the last step to this progression, verse 12. The root of Jesse speaking of jesus will come even he who arises to rule the gentiles in him will the gentiles hope so david's going to worship before the gentiles right moses says we will worship in the presence of the gentiles then the psalmist writes that we're going to be worshiping with the gentiles and then says in the book of isaiah that even the gentiles will put their hope in the messiah this was always god's plan for this to happen this way. This was God's heart that the Gentile would be saved. So he's saying again to those people, the weak and the strong, hey, it's not about your plan. It's not about the way you want to love people or what you think should happen or shouldn't happen. This is what God wants. So get out and start loving each other. Gentile or Jew, it doesn't matter. Just get to loving people. In verse 13, I love this. It's like in the midst of this epistle, he breaks out into this prayer. This petition before the Lord, may the God of hope fill you all with joy and with peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. The God of hope that he would fill you with joy. The word joy, it means a settled peace. It means a settled rejoicing. It's not like happiness. I'm happy today if I win the lottery, but you know what, tomorrow I could lose it. And my happiness is gone. That's not what joy is. Joy is not tethered to or dependent upon anything that happens in this world. Joy is tethered to and anchored in who Jesus is for me. That is joy. And joy cannot be taken from you. And the scripture says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Today, this morning, if you feel like you have no joy. Today, this morning, if you feel beaten down, downtrodden, depressed. Could it be? Could it be? That you've allowed your happiness, your contentment to be tethered to something in this world. And when that thing is gone, you've lost that sense of joy. If you will once again retether yourself to the Lord, you can have that joy return and you can be strong once more. The joy of the Lord is your strength. May the God of hope fill you with joy. In the second word, there was peace. Peace means an absence of conflict. The scripture says this in Isaiah. Chapter 26 says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed or fixed on you because he trusts in you. If you feel like you don't have peace today, if you're having trouble sleeping, if you feel a sense of anxiety, if you worry, if you doubt... If you will but fix your eyes upon the Lord again, that peace will be returned. Did you hear that verse? Did you hear the promise of that scripture? He will keep his mind in perfect peace whose mind is fixed on him. If your mind is fixed on the Lord, that peace can return to your life. You cannot have joy without peace, and you cannot have peace without joy, and you can't have either of them without the Lord. You can sleep again. You can rest easy tonight if you'll just fix your eyes on the Lord. You can have joy in your life once more if you'll just fix your eyes on the Lord. Then he, he closes that portion. He says that you would abound in hope. And that's the way the Lord wants you to live. He wants you to have an overabundance of joy. Again, what is joy? An absolute expectation that something better is coming. The dessert is on the way. That's the way God wants you to live your life. The Man, I don't need to be caught up in this world and in the heartache of this world because someone is waiting for me. Jesus is waiting for you. Amen? So we're going to look at this last point there. You should be on point number five, right? Last point there is the pride in God's work. And this is speaking of Paul's pride in God's work, and not in a negative way, not in a negative connotation, but let's read this verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. I know you guys can teach one another this stuff. I get that. I get that. Verse 15. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given to me by God, as a minister, or to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So he says, listen, I know that you guys know this stuff, but the reason why I've come to you is just to remind you of what you already know. Really, that's what a majority of what we try to do here as pastors, is, is to remind you, right? There are a few things that you need to be reminded of over and over and over again in order for it to really sink down into your hearts, right? And this isn't new. I I don't want you guys to feel badly about yourselves. Why did the Lord institute the Passover with the children of Israel? So that they would remember God's deliverance. So you need to celebrate this every year. If you don't do this every year, you're gonna forget how I came to your aid, how I rescued you from Egypt, from bondage and slavery. So I want you to celebrate this every year to remember what I've done right? Why do we celebrate communion as the church? Jesus said you should do this as often as you do it in what? In remembrance of me, in remembrance of my sacrifice, in remembrance of the body, and in remembrance of the blood. You need to be reminded from time to time, and that's what Paul's saying. I'm telling you these things, not because you're not capable of teaching these things to each other, but I'm just telling you this to remind you, because from time to time, we all need to be reminded. You need to be reminded exactly who God is, Who is God? He's your deliverer. He's the one who stepped forward to take the penalty of your sin when no one else would. What did God do? He rescued you and redeemed you from the grasp of sin and of death. That is who God is and that is what he's done. And who are you? You're someone that was worth dying for in the eyes of the Lord. From time to time we need to remind each other, Who is God? He's my deliverer. What did he do? He rescued me. Who are you? You're someone worth rescuing. Again, you know these things, but are you really living your life like it's truth? Do you really live your life like this has really impacted you? Has it changed the way you speak, the way you give, the way you love, the way you serve? Because this is what we need to be reminded of. I'm telling you this just to remind you. Now look at this. Verse 17. Verse 17. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work. Now, pause there for a moment, because here's a man who said, I'm a wretch. Here's a man who said, I'm the least of all the apostles because I persecuted the church. Here's a man who said, all that I used to live for is just trash and garbage and rubbish. I have nothing but Jesus in this life. So this is not a man who is prideful or arrogant. But what does he say here? He says, I have reason to be proud of my work for God not in what I've built with my own hands. Look, he goes on, look at what he says in verse 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. If I'm gonna boast in anything, he would say in 2 Corinthians chapters 11 and 12, if I'm gonna boast about anything at all, I'm gonna boast in my weakness because when I'm weak, then he is strong. If I'm gonna boast about anything, I'm gonna boast about the fact that God did something in and through me. It's kind of telling to think about your life in this manner. And I know you maybe you've seen those pictures of a tombstone. And it has your birth date and then it has your date of departure. And there's a little dash in between, right? What does your dash speak? Most of the time on a tombstone or on a headstone, there's a little phrase that's left there. Loving father, devoted wife you know, selfless mother, whatever that might be. There's something written on the tombstone. You know, for Paul, the only thing that he would want written there is just that he did something for Jesus. He gave his life serving the Lord. And that's all that I want people to remember me by. That should be the only thing that you want people to remember you by. That Your dash is just a bunch of service to the Lord. Just This is my worship of God. This is what I offered to him. And if I'm going to boast in anything, if I'm going to be proud of anything, it's going to be that I was a vessel that God was able to use, that I emptied myself so that I could be filled by him and used by him. That's what I'll give praise to God for. That's what I'll be proud of, Paul says. I didn't do any of this on my own. Again, he persecuted the Gentiles, and God grabbed hold of his heart and changed him. Look at this verse 19. By the power of signs and wonders, and we'll finish this off. By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around through... I, I, uh, 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 yeah, that, that word. That's a tough one. I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been preached or named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written... Those who have been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. I'm going to boast in this, that God has used me, and that by the power of signs and of wonders, and by this power of the Spirit of God, this is a 1,400-mile trek that he went on, a 1,400-mile missionary journey that he walked in mud and dirt and dust. He walked this road that he fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ Through signs and through wonders. The word sign, it's a miraculous event that happens in order to confirm the word of God. In Mark chapter 16, Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going to allow miracles to take place in your life. Many miracles are going to happen. In Acts chapter 5, we see Peter walking the streets in Jerusalem, and they were bringing the sick out in stretchers and laying them on the side of the road that just Peter's shadow would touch them. They were being healed. Why? What's the purpose for that? That word signs, it's a miraculous event that confirms the word of God. It's as though God is saying, look, I want the miraculous to take place in your midst so that people know what truth is. What's the word wonders mean? He says through signs and wonders. The word wonder is, again, it's a miraculous event that's there to elicit some sort of interest so that people would become concerned. What's happening over there? What's taking place over in that place? And here's what my concern is with our church. I'm not talking about the church in general. I'm saying this church right here, right now. If God wants to confirm his word through signs and through wonders, then why would not signs and wonders be taking place today in order to confirm the word? Is there power left in our preaching Again, are we so filled with the knowledge of God, but we aren't actually living it out, practicing it, and doing it? Because if we bring our Bibles into this sanctuary, and we leave, and we never practice any of it, if we never put it into practice, if we never live it out, then what good is that? See, there's this old teaching called the Revival Hymn that I've listened to over and over and over and over again. Look it up on YouTube, Revival Hymn, it's incredible. In the course of this preaching, there's an old preacher who says this, He says, the world is not looking for a new definition of Christianity. The world is looking for a demonstration of Christianity. This is what the world is saying. Look, I don't need you to tell me who God is. I need you to show me who God is. That's why signs and wonders followed the apostles, the disciples, to confirm that their message was real. And so, again, the question is, if these things don't happen in our midst, where have we gone wrong? Now, I'll give you this, because those signs and wonders can look a lot different and take a lot of different shapes. But all throughout the room, I said this earlier, there should be peppered people's stories just like this. Just like Paul's. People who came into the room and were convinced that they had it all right. People who came into the room and were living religious. People who were coming into the room who were checking the boxes. People who were coming into the room who thought they were good and had it together. Or people who came into the room and whose lives were falling apart, but they didn't leave that way. And peppered all throughout the room, there are signs and there are wonders of people's lives who have been changed by the grace and the glory of God. But if we try to hide that in this room and we don't show that when we leave, where's the power in that? Has God or hasn't he changed you? Have you had an encounter with the glory of God or haven't you? Because here Paul wraps this text up that we're studying today and he says, listen, my ambition is to take this message, this glory that I've received, this grace that I've been bestowed, my ambition is to take that everywhere that it hasn't been preached. And he's basically apologizing to Rome. He's saying, I'm sorry I haven't been there just yet, but it's because I'm going places where people haven't heard about Jesus. You realize that today in our community there are places that haven't heard about Jesus, right? You don't need to go across the world. It's great. We have a couple brothers that are going to go, and they're going to have a great blessed time taking the gospel to a foreign land. But you know what? There's plenty of foreign land right outside this door. And listen to me very carefully. Today, people need Jesus. People are dying, literally dying in the hospitals alone, separated from family. Jesus is needed in that place. Jesus is needed with those families. There are children at home, maybe in the next couple weeks school is going to start, but they're alone for 90% of the day. They're stuck with the computer. They're ostracized from their loved ones. They're ostracized from their classmates. They have no social interaction. Jesus is needed in those places. Jesus is needed around your kitchen table. Jesus is needed around your workstation water cooler. Jesus is needed in PTA meetings and city council meetings and board meetings. Jesus is needed in your workplace. Jesus is needed so many different places. And if you would just be faithful to say, God has done something in me. He's made me someone who is strong. I understand his grace. And now it's my ambition, my desire to take this and to offer it to others. How would God use you if you would just surrender to that if you would say I want that ambition I want Paul's ambition to become my ambition
0: thanks for tuning in for Love Live Lead the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro Calexico and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish your kids are going to love our kids church plus we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the ccciv.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.ccciv.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.